You are listening to the First Baptist Jinx podcast. To learn more about FBC Jinx, including our gathering times, visit us online at fbcjinx.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Drew Wright. Well, good morning, church. Uh, So glad that you're here today. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, my name is Drew. I am the executive pastor here at the church. And uh, this morning, if you're new, you're getting brought into like a family moment um, because uh, many of you guys have stopped me in the hallway and uh, on Sundays and Wednesdays and just have asked, hey, when are we going to get to meet Hallie? And so I thought, hey, I haven't got to preach in a while. I knew I was going to preach. So I thought, what a fitting moment to get you to introduce you to my baby girl, uh, Miss Hallie Ray. Hallie? Hello, this is your church. Can you say anything? No, you're good? Okay. Um, I know I don't say this often enough. Um, for those of you who have been a part of this church and a part of my life whoo, for the past five years, thank you. Um, thank you for praying. Some of you guys started praying five years ago to get to see me in a moment like this, and I'm forever grateful for that. Um, God has done a work in my life and uh, just keeps showing up in his kindness. And so... Uh, yeah, this is Hallie. Hallie, you're going to go with mom, and we're going to get into the sermon today. So say bye. Bye. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> uh, yes, today we're starting back into the letter of Ephesians. If you are new in the last few months, you were like back into the letter um, because we took a break for Christmas and then we did the devoted series. And so now we're back into Ephesians, which we're actually, we stopped in the middle of a chapter, in the middle of chapter four, uh, with our last series on being unified in unity. And so this morning we're, we're jumping into a series called Out of the Dark. And so I'm going to read out of chapter 4, verses 17 through 24, out of my little uh, black journal. If you're new and you're like, hey, I don't know about these, come see me in the pastor's guest reception after service. And uh, I'll, I'll get you some info on how to get one of these. It's just a neat way to take notes through the sermon. So chapter 4, verse 17 through 24. It says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that's not the way you learned Christ. Assuming you have, that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Hey, let's, let's just pause, let's pray, and uh, then we'll, we'll, we'll dive through this today. God, thank you for your word and the way that it speaks life to us, um, that it calls us out of the dark and into the light. And so, Father, I pray that you would do what only you can do, and that is move, change us, make us alive. God, I pray as we walk verse by verse through this text today that you would just reveal yourself to us. Um, what are we supposed to do and how we're supposed to live in this world? Jesus, so we love you and we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. So Paul starts this section, this passage, by saying, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Paul begins by saying, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. So what Paul is doing in this passage is he's beginning to look back. And he does it from this moment forward. You're going to see him do it over and over and over again. He's going to repeat some things that he's already said in the letter and clarify some things that he's already said in the letter. And so what is he doing here? He's pointing back right here at the beginning of chapter 4 when he says, I, therefore a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk. 
signifying the idea of walking. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. He's also pointing back to chapter 3, verse 14, when he says, So that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Now, maybe you've been around church for some amount of time and you've heard somebody ask a question and you're like, and they'll say, hey, how's your walk? And you're like, what? Like, maybe you're new to Christianity, maybe you're, you've been familiar and you know that and you're like, I wonder where that came from. Well, it came from this. It came from these ideas. Because here's the reality. Our faith in Jesus, it's a walk. We have a walk with Jesus. We have a walk in our faith. He says, but here he's, he's clarifying. He says, no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Now, what's he doing here? I'm sure somebody in the crowd at this moment was like, uh, hey, you've been reading for a while. Um, we're we're, we're quite, a, quite a ways into this letter. I've, I've got a question. Do you, does, does Paul know that we're all Gentiles? <laughs> like He's telling us not to, be, not to walk as Gentiles anymore. Uh, does he realize that we're Gentiles by ethnicity? Like We are not Jewish people. We're not uh, that way. What, what's Paul doing here when he says no longer walk as Gentiles? He's pointing back. Chapter 2, when he says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And so what Paul's doing is he's saying the way that you walk before Jesus Christ in your life, that it was following the course of this world. And that course is a destructive path. You follow the ways of this world, it's going to lead you down a dead-end, pointless life. The other option Paul presents is to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. What's that look like? Well, Paul, again, he's already covered this and he's going to clarify it. He covered this in chapter 2, verse 10, when he says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There is a way in which we live as believers that should contrast the way that we lived before Jesus. There's a way that we should walk in this life that should look different than the way that we walked before Jesus entered our life. And so when Paul says no longer walk as the Gentiles, he's not talking about an ethnicity or a race or skin color or even, even uh, uh, where somebody was born or not born. What he's talking about, he's, he's clarifying, he's saying believers and non-believers. Gentiles were non-believers. They aren't Christians, they're not followers. He says, don't, your life shouldn't look like that. Nobody should confuse the way that you live and the way that you walk with somebody who's not a believer. Some of you have probably heard, if you've been around church any length of time, well, they're not walking with the Lord anymore. You're like, what? Like, that's pretty judgy. Well, that person is probably meaning one of two things. First, is that person never walked with the Lord. They never had a relationship with Jesus, and their life just doesn't resemble anything that a Christian would resemble. The second thing that they could mean is that person used to walk with the Lord, there was things about their life that looked like fruit and looked like a believer, and now it doesn't. And so they've most likely betrayed, rebelled, walked away from the faith. And you're like, oh, did they lose their salvation? I don't think that's what Paul is clarifying here. He's, it's more about the fellowship that you have with Jesus. And they're just not walking with the Lord anymore. They're not too far away. Nobody's ever too far away. This isn't the last time Paul's going to bring up the idea of walk. He's going to go through it in chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6. He's going to bring it up again and again and again. He does it all throughout the letter. This one is an important one that we need to pay attention to because he goes into some descriptive terms about it, what it looks like to not walk as a believer. And we need to know what we shouldn't be and what we should be. So this is what he says. 
Verse 17, starting again, he says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So he, he begins walking through some stuff. He starts with these people that walk as the Gentiles do, that they have the, the futility of their minds. What, what's he mean here? Well, futility is a weird word. We don't use it a whole lot in our culture, but it really just means pointless. Uh, it's when something doesn't do what it's supposed to do. It doesn't do what it's supposed to do. What's Paul referring to? Well, these people that were walking as the Gentiles, he's saying that their minds aren't doing what they're supposed to do. That their minds aren't operating the way that they're supposed to operate. Now what, what Paul is beginning with this one statement is he is building on the, on the statement that follows. Which is not the way that we do stuff in English. It's not the way that we do stuff. We would build on the thing and like stair step it up, right? Stack it together. And so this one builds on this one and this one and this one. And Paul's like starting at the top and he's boiling it down to the foundation of what it looks like to not walk in the ways of the Lord. And the, 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 the top of that is these people... Their whole minds are just pointless. He says that they're darkened in their understanding. Paul embodied this reality at one point in his life, before Jesus. Paul believed, hey, I, he was a brilliant, wise uh, leader in the Jewish culture. He, he understood the law better than most people. Where was he on, on the way to the road to Damascus, right? What was he on his way to do? Persecute Christians. Why? Because he understood the ways of God better than these Christians. They, didn't, they clearly didn't understand, so we need to put them in line, right? That's what he was on his way to do. But what happens on the road to Damascus? Jesus shows up in a brilliant, bright light. And it's at that moment when Jesus, when Jesus shows up and he is the light in Paul's life that Paul realizes his entire life before that moment he had been walking in darkness. And he was brought into the light of Christ. And so he says, hey, these people are, are pointless in their minds, they're darkened in their understanding. And because, and because they're alienated from the life of God. These people who are living in the dark, that their minds and their ways of life, their, their walk is pointless, that they're separated from God because of ignorance that is in them. Now, Paul, when he uses the word ignorance, he's not talking about smarts or what kind of grades you make, what your GPA was in, in middle school. Like, that's not what he was talking about. What's he talking about? This ignorance is simply that they don't know God, that they are ignorant of God. They don't know him. They don't have a relationship with him. And for us as believers, so many of us, we're like, well, that's the starting point. That's got to be the, the foundation. You know, that's where everybody's at. Before they meet Jesus, they're just, the way that they're operating, the, their sin in their life, it's because they don't know Jesus, right? Well, Paul would be like, hey, that's part of it, but that's actually not the start of it. He says, because of the ignorance is in, that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. Like, it's the hard heart is what leads them to not knowing God, which is what causes the separation from God, which pushes them into the darkness of their understanding and the futile mind. Now that phrasing, hardness of heart, for me when I read that, I immediately jumped back to the Old Testament. Character we see in the, book of, uh, in the story of the Exodus, right? Pharaoh. The Pharaoh rejects God because of the hardness of his heart. And he has a hard heart, which makes him reject God. And so, so what's Paul, why, why is, does Paul use this language, hardness of heart? Well, Pharaoh had a hard heart that caused him to reject God. And this hardness of heart seemed to come from a willing rejection of, of God. 
It was like a, 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 a spinning door. But if you remember what happens in the story of Pharaoh, Pharaoh rejects God, and it doesn't lead to a good place. Like his willful rejection of God and the things of God doesn't just affect him. We think, oh, that just affects that one person. No, 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 no. It affected everybody around him. His rejection of God affected his family. It affected the nation of Egypt. Like how many soldiers did he take in, in, into the Red Sea that drowned with him? Like his hardness of heart actually affected a lot of people. And so the reality here is that is the moment that you're presented with the option of following God and submitting to God or not, is the moment that you're willingly choosing to follow God or reject the ways of God. And if, if you decide, hey, I'm not going to follow God, what it does is it produces a hardness of heart. And I'll say every time you do that, every time you reject the Holy Spirit, every time you say no to God, every time you do what you want to do rather than what Jesus wants you to do, your heart becomes a little more hard. Paul says that those people that are operating this way, they've become callous. This verbiage here, the, the, the language Paul's using seems identical to the idea of a hard heart. Because when you get calluses, it's like your hand gets hard, right? That, that's like their heart has become calloused. They, 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 it's just harder and harder, right? And it's because that they've become calloused, it says, and have given themselves up to sensuality. We're not going to go into full on what sensuality means and, and define all of that. I'm just going to define it as these people do whatever they want that makes them feel good. And they pursue whatever makes them feel good. And you're like, yeah, those people are bad. He's talking to you. <laughs> he says those people are greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And so Paul like lumps it all together here. And he doesn't let the listener or the reader miss that people who aren't walking with God, he says that those people, at the core of who they are, they're greedy to practice all kinds of impurities. Like, okay, that's, I don't, I don't even know really what, what that means. Like, what, like, well, greed. What's greed? It's wanting more than what you have. It's rooted in two things. I would say the first thing it's rooted in is covetousness. Just seeing something that somebody else has and wanting what they have. The other is discontentment. Is whatever God's given you in your life isn't good enough. And I want more. I need more. I can't, I, I, I desire more. And I'm going to say that, that both of those are, are, are rooted in desiring things without God. They're, de they're desiring things without God. Matthew chapter 4. Jesus is driven out into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, and then he's tempted by Satan, right? He fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. Three temptations that, that happen. First, turn these stones into bread. We know you're hungry, you're starving, why don't you just feed yourself? Second temptation, Satan takes him up onto the temple, and he's like, hey, just jump off. The angels will save you. You'll get all the publicity you'll ever need. Like People will follow you. Third temptation. Hey, I'm going to take you up onto the mountain. And I'm actually going to give you all power and authority if you'll just bow down to me. Which Satan really didn't have the, the authority to give that, but he was tempting Jesus, right? We're not going to talk about the second two temptations, but the first one. Turning stones into bread. Was that sin? Like if Jesus would have turned a, a, piece of, a stone into a piece of bread, was that sin? No. The only reason I say that is because he does other miracles that are really similar to that. He turns water into wine. Uh, he multiplies loaves and fish. Like he's manipulating food all the time. Th that, that wasn't the sin. The sin was desiring something without God doing it. The, the sin in that moment was, was Satan was tempting him to distrust God and to just usurp the power of God in his life. Hey, well, you can do this. Why don't you just go ahead and do it? You don't need God to show up. You don't need God to provide. 
Like you can just provide for yourself, which is actually the original temptation in Genesis chapter three, when the serpent comes to Adam and Eve, it's like, hey, you don't need God to define good and evil. Like you could just eat this fruit and define it for yourself, which is exactly what Paul's talking about. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. These people are creating their own morality to live by. It's what we do. When we sin, we try to justify it. Like, oh, that's not that bad. I don't like. I'm, I'm going to make myself feel okay for doing something that I actually know is wrong, but I'm going to do it because that's, I, I need to do that. It's why the phrase, just follow your heart, I, that's a bad, don't, don't do that. It's terrible advice. You know why? Because your heart's deceptive. Your heart's going to deceive you. If it's not from God, then it's going to lead you down a dead-end path that, that's actually towards the worst kind of life, filled with the things that aren't of God and separated from God. So if we're not to walk as the Gentiles do, who, man, this, I'm going to say that passage is pretty heavy. It's pretty convicting. What's the other option? Verse 20, he says, but, but that's not the way that you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. It's an interesting phrase right there, learned Christ. We don't really talk that way. What's he mean by learned Christ? That's not how I think about my relationship with Jesus. Well, if you look back again at chapter 3, he says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. When Paul makes that statement in chapter 3, everything that he will say throughout the rest of the letter is being built on the foundation that Jesus has already said that we are loved by God with a love that's beyond our understanding. That we are filled with the fullness of God that we can't comprehend. That's the promise. That's what Jesus is offering us as believers, as lost people. And then he says three things. He says, you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. And those three things, the first one, to put off your old self. It's the first thing he says. He's like, you, you want to not walk as the Gentiles? You've got to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. The second thing, he says, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. This uh, correlates to Romans 12 too. Three, to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, a couple things are really clear here. The first thing that's clear is this new self is not separate from the love of Christ. We don't just start doing all of these other things, these religious things, and that makes us good with God. No, 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 no. We've got to receive the love of Christ first, and it is in harmony with fully knowing the love of Christ that we can walk out of the dark into the light. So what does Paul mean by put off, take off your old self, put off your old self, and put on the new self? The language he's using is clearly clothing language. There's a lot of commentaries and a lot of scholars that use that language. It's like, put on the, put on the new clothes. You may have heard a sermon. Put on the new clothes. And they, they give you a clothing analogy. And I'm going to say, if you aren't really, really careful with that illustration, you've got to be really careful with it. Or you could read it as, hey, we're just covering up the sin. I just put on the new clothes over the, the old nasty self. Jesus accuses the Pharisees of this exact thing, right? When he calls them whitewashed tombs. Clean on the outside and dead and dirty on the inside. You look the right, the, like, the right way, 
come to church, you're cleaned up, you're right, wearing the right clothes, but on the inside, you're, you're, you're actually dead. You're not alive. And so we, as, as we read this, we have to be really careful. That's not what we're attempting to do. We're not attempting to just put something new on something that's dead. And so the question is like, why would Paul use clothing language here that, that can, could be a little bit confusing? Well, I think he's making an emphasis rather on the clothing. He's making an emphasis on our identity, on the way that we view ourselves and the way our self, our self is seen publicly. Because here's the, here's the reality of this, is our identity as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, should not be secret. Like, nobody should be shocked if they find out you're a believer. Like, the way that you live, the way that you act out in public, the way that you treat people, the way that you tip at the restaurant, the way that you treat your uh, coaches of your kids' sports, the way you talk to referees during those sports, some of y'all need, like, need to pay attention, for real. Like, nobody should be like, that person's a believer? No, they, so they should go, oh, that makes total sense. Like, that person's kind. They're gentle. They love people really well. Like, yeah, absolutely, they're, they're a follower of Jesus. Now, I'm going to back up for just a moment. I'm going to touch on the idea when Paul says, as the truth is in Jesus. Because if, we're, if we are to take off our old self and put on a new self, we have to understand what it looks like and what Paul is actually saying, which begins with the question, is this something that we can do? Can we take off the old self and put on the new? And you're like, well, of course, Paul's telling us to do it. We clearly should be able to do it. And I would say, well, no, at first, and then yes. Because here's the truth. If we understand what Paul says back in chapter 2 when he says that at one time we were dead in our trespasses and our sins, a dead anything can't make itself come to life. God alone is the author of life and death, both physically and spiritually. It is only when he shows up and he presents himself and we receive salvation from him that we are made alive. That's why Jesus was the only person who could raise himself from the dead. Him being God, he had the power over life and death. We don't. We have to trust him for what he's going to do, which is make us come alive. We can't save ourselves. It's done by Jesus and through Jesus. But I'll say that, that once we've been saved, we do have a role. And that role is taking off the old self and putting on the new self. And it's not just a one-time thing. It's a daily thing. It's an every-moment thing. That we are constantly taking off the old life and putting on the new life. And so when Paul says, as the truth is in Jesus, what's the opposite of truth? A lie. Something that's false. It's something that, that isn't, isn't true, right? Paul, here, he's contrasting the ideas of truth and deceit. And he says, take off the old self, which is corrupt through deceitful desires. That word desire there is really interesting because desires play a major role in every single one of our lives. It's actually what drives our life, both pre-Jesus and post-Jesus. Desires, whether we have desires pre-Jesus that are usually selfish and self-centered, and then post-Jesus that should be God-centered desires. The old self, Paul here, he says, is corrupt through deceitful desires. Desires are the things that can corrupt us, deceitful desires specifically. Thoughts, I believe thoughts are important, but they feed desires. The way that you think feeds your desires, the things that you long for, the things that you want. 
And so the question is, how can we actually be freed from the power of sinful, deceitful desires? How can we be freed from the desires that constantly are lying to us? That's, that are saying, hey, if you do this, if you get this, if you act this way, if you do this thing... Hey, I need to be in this relationship because I'm, that's going to make me happy. I need to be out of this relationship because that's going to make me happy. If my kids would just act this way, that would make me happy. If I just bought this thing, it would make me happy. If I would do this, deceitful desires that are constantly lying to us, we are only ever set free from these desires through truth. And that's not a relative truth that, that, that culture gets to make up. That is a singular truth, and it's a word of God. It starts with submitting yourself to truth. And that's what Paul means when he says to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. It is in that moment when we submit ourselves to truth that we begin putting on the new self, which is created by God. It says the new self was created for you in the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. This passage is pleading with the believer in this moment that if there are things in your life that resemble the before Christ version of you, get them out. I'm going to say the BC version, the before Christ version of you, the BC version of you. If your life still looks like some of your old life, then you haven't done the full work. You got to take some of that stuff off. Your life should not resemble the way that you lived before Jesus came into your life. Paul's pleading with us. He's saying, if there's things in our lives that aren't righteous and holy, take that stuff off. Get it out of your life. Stop believing the lie that those things will make you happy, that those things will make you satisfied, that they're going to make you content and, and, and comfortable. Paul says, no. It's when you put on the new self created by God in the likeness of God in righteousness. Righteousness is living rightly, thinking rightly. That's what righteousness is. And holiness, and we could talk about holiness till the end of time. I'm going to define holiness as honoring God with your entire life. It's when Jesus sits on the throne of your life and not you. When you're doing all things for him, that's, that's what holiness looks like. It's worshiping him in all things. And Paul's saying, hey, when you are living in that new self, you want to find true contentment that's not circumstantial? You want to try find true satisfaction? True joy, fulfillment, it's in that new self. It's when you take off the old self and you, and you put on that new self that you can weather the storms of, of life. And if you find yourself, you're like, man, I'm just dissatisfied, I'm discontent, I, I feel unfulfilled. Maybe there are things in your life that are still a part of your old self. And you're wearing around that old coat thinking it's going to make you happy. And here's the reality. Jesus doesn't come into your life and he's like, hey, give me that coat. I'm going to restore it. I'm going to, I'm going to bring that one back you know, to good. No, no, no. He's like, take it off. Throw it away. Get rid of the old life. I got a brand new life over here waiting for you. A brand new identity, which is the whole purpose of this passage. He says, no longer walk as the Gentiles because you got a whole brand new identity. And that's in Christ. It's as a Christ follower. Today, my, my hope is that you would just take that old self off and put on the new. Take off those, those old shoes, those old paint, that, like that old way of living, all of those old clothes, and put on the new self, which is a complete brand new identity. Maybe for you today, you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus. That's where it starts. Again, a dead person can't become alive by themselves. 
That's the work of Jesus Christ. And it's until you surrender. You may have a lot of religious things. You may go to your small group. You may read your Bible every day. You could pray every day. But if you have never been made alive, you're still living in the old self. Promise. It's only at the moment that you surrender your life. You say, God, I'm just giving you everything. You're like, but I got some things over here in the dark that nobody knows about. Here's the reality. Jesus already knows about them. And you know what? He still loves you. The exact same as if you could just quit pretending that nobody knows about them. He says, let's drag that stuff into the light. Let's get some healing. Let's take off that old self. Let's put on the new self. Maybe today you're, you're a believer and you're a follower of Jesus. Maybe you should go through, this, this should be a call of like, hey, I need to work through, I need to make sure, I need to go through my life and figure out if there's anything that resembles my old life. Things that I do, the way that I treat people, sin. He's like, get rid of that stuff. Because that stuff's never going to actually bring you happiness. Maybe, maybe really short circumstantial happiness. You'll, you'll feel good for a couple of moments. That's what sensuality is. But it's not going to bring contentment. It's not going to bring full satisfaction and fulfillment because that stuff's only found in Jesus. So here in a moment, we're going to pray and we're going to stand and we're going to sing. Today, if you haven't give, ever given your life to Jesus, there's going to be some pastors back here by these double doors. They'd love to talk to you. You got, you're like, hey, I got some stuff I need to work through. I got some, some stuff that I need to figure out. Go back there and talk to them. Maybe today you're a believer in here and you're like, hey, I, I need some... I need to work through some stuff. Stay seated. Come to the altar. Like, do business with God. Maybe today you need to turn to your spouse and, your, and, and say, hey, I've been keeping some stuff in the dark from you, and we need to start dragging it into the light, and this is the first step. Maybe it's going to a brother or sister in Christ in this room that you trust, and you're like, hey, I need some help. I'm, I'm living in the dark over here. I'm living that old life, that old self, and I need some help. If you keep trying to do it on your own, if you do what you've always done, you're going to get what you always got. You got to take off that old self and put on the new self. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, you are so good. Your word is so perfect for every moment in our life. God, I pray for every man, woman, boy, and girl in this room that as they are just processing this scripture, no longer walk as the Gentiles do to take off that old self and put on that new self. God, that every single one of us, every individual in this room, that we would begin sorting through our life, saying, is that the old self? And if so, that we would take those things off and that we would put on the newness that has only comes from you, that's created in your likeness. God, for those here in this room today, they're struggling. They, they're just thinking about salvation. They're like... They have a lot of religious things about their life. Maybe they have no religious things about their life. And they're like, man, I, whatever that guy need, has, I need that. I want to do that. I, I need Christ. I need to be made alive. God, that today they would make that decision. That they would do what they need to do. They would go to the back. They would talk to a pastor. They'd lean into a friend or somebody sitting on their row and say, hey, how do I do that? But God, that we would just do business with you. God, as we, as we stand here in a moment and sing... God, if there's people that need to just start working through some stuff, they need to start having some conversations right here and right now that they would begin that journey. That we wouldn't walk out of these doors the same way that we would walk through the same old self. But God, that we would step into that new self. Jesus, thank you for your grace and your mercy, your love. 
for loving us even when we have some stuff that's in the dark. That you love us the same then as you do in the moments where we're healed. Your love isn't circumstantial. It is perfect. So Jesus, with that, we just try to love you back. It's in your name we pray.